0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the GMS Magazine channel. I am Paco Garcia, your host, and this is the RPG Interview Room, the show in which I'm lucky enough to get together with some of the best people in the world of role-playing game and ask them a ton of questions on your behalf. Of course, um, this is, and I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. Okay, uh, this show is over a week late, and this is the tenth time that I have to record this intro, because I have either forgotten to take it with me, mistaken the file for a different one, the file has become corrupted... uh, ten times. The audio has failed... ten times. So, whoever's placed, you know, a curse on me, lift it. As in, now. Mind you, this is the last episode in the series. So, um, That's okay. I can take a a break now and, 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 you know, rest (laughs) for a few weeks. Um, uh, No, this is not the last episode ever. Don't. Don't worry. Uh, I'm going to come back. Um, This is the last episode in the series because July is coming. My crowdfunding for Campo de Mitos is also coming up on July 1st. And I want to be able to concentrate on that and also prepare an absolutely fantastic list of people to come to the show uh, during the summer months so I can prepare everything, and have everything ready for you as soon as possible and release these episodes as regularly as possible. So, this last season episode is going to go out with a blast because I have an absolutely fantastic guest with me. Uh, somebody I spoke with about five years ago and I have to admit, I had completely forgotten how much fun I had talking to him. Seriously. Peter Wax has this amazing ability to make me feel so comfortable when I'm talking to him. And he is so full of incredible ideas, really amazing ideas that when he said, Hey Paco, I have this. I thought, Oh, this is not a role playing game. And then I looked into it and thought, damn, it bloody should be. Come on. Brilliant novel, brilliant concept, brilliant author. So, uh, regardless of whether you're watching this interview in the YouTube channel or listening to it in the podcast, I really hope that you will enjoy it. And leave me a comment or a review in iTunes if you're listening to the podcast. Um, it's truly appreciated. And remember to subscribe. By the way, I'll stop rambling now. Here is Peter Wax.
1: Hi, it's been a, it's been a while.
0: Y- yes, it has. I mean, it has been... A year, two years, three years?
1: Uh, oh gosh, I actually think that last time we did an interview was around the, after the Interface Zero Kickstarter, but before the actual launch. So I believe it's 2015, 2014 or 2015. So it's been five
0: or six. Now I feel really <laughs> ashamed of myself. Uh, that's, that's terrible. <laughs> That is absolutely terrible, and it must never, ever, 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 ever happen again. So, um, because now, now it means that we need to we need to go back to the beginning. Okay, so I need to ask you, um, yeah, and I, I need to ask you some questions just to make sure, you know, that you still remember how to answer questions and things like that. You, you...
1: All right, I think that's fair.
0: Okay, so, so okay, so, um, question number one. Um, they're all very easy, so you should be, you should be all right. Um, unless you're a politician, which you aren't, so. <laughs>
1: You'll be all right. (laughs) I'll be fine.
0: Question number one. Um, Tea or coffee?
1: Oh, coffee, absolutely. Right here.
0: (laughs) Wow, by the bite. (laughs) This will last
1: me all day, so.
0: (laughs) That's pro. That's definitely hardcore coffee. That's good. Okay. second question. Um, The beach or the mountain? Uh.
1: You know i'd like to see both of them so i'm gonna say in the city where i have a view of both the beach (laughs) and the mountain
0: okay that sounds good um cars or motorbikes
1: oh that's really hard so uh you know i've been into both in my life i'm gonna say cars right now because i i love i love my car i have an audi and i named him james Mori audi because he drives (laughs) me homes every day um But I used to be a bike guy, so I love bikes, too. I'm I'm loving the the innovative technology that's coming out with like the new Ducati's and the new BMWs, the the concept BMW, the self-writing one. Like, it's so cyberpunk that I'm just kind of like, yes, I'm in. (laughs) Okay,
0: Okay. um, uh, yeah, stop it. I'm not going to make you choose. You love them both too much. So that's 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 (laughs) absolutely. Um. now this is going to get a little bit harder. Um, Fantasy or science fiction?
1: Oh, there's no real answer to that because they both, uh, you know, they both operate off of the same set of rules, uh, which is that you have to take a set of rules, construct a world around those rules and then be religious to those rules, except for the one place that you break those rules to find an interesting story. So I think that um, a very well constructed fantasy is, is very similar to a very well constructed science fiction.
0: Okay. We could make a whole podcast episode just based on that. You know that, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, let's do it sometime, sometime Yes,
0: <laughs> Yes, I'm taking you on that one. Okay, uh, last but no least. Uh, zombies or vampires?
1: Oh, oh, ooh, man, that's a really good question. <laughs> wow. I, I, You know, when I was young, <laughs> I was so gothy, and I was in, totally into, like, White Wolf and Exalted and all of that. And so I would totally... Uh, <laughs> I would have totally said vampires, but I've really been enjoying like, uh, there's been a lot of comedy zombie coming out lately. And it's really kind of got me in the idea of of, uh, of zombie right now. It's, it's the zombie genre as opposed to the, the vampire genre. I've been enjoying humor uh, more than than <laughs> ennui <laughs> uh, lately.
0: Well, you, you know, I'm going to say something very controversial. Uh, but I don't think the vampire genre has recovered since Twilight.
1: I would say that, uh, that that's a really good assessment. I mean, like, what we do in Shadows is mm-hmm. really good. It's a lot of fun. So there's some cool stuff out there, but none of it's making it, like, mega big the way that it used to. Yeah, yeah.
0: I, I, I think I'm sorry to say this because I am very much a vampire guy. But Twilight has done for vampires. Well, so has undone for vampires everything the buffy the Vampires layer did for them at the time yeah completely undone so
1: um, yeah it completely ended it we'll see what what you know if they if they redo blade bringing blade into mcu that could make vampires interesting again
0: yes so. but it's talking about in, yes but talking about interesting <laughs> uh which is why you're here and um i will have warned the viewers before but usually i mean this is the first time that i have somebody to interview them uh for writing fiction and not role-playing games since ever um because um it's it's you and and i know i know you and i like you an awful lot uh (laughs) and you write really really well um thank you but also because I I was very interested when you told me, you know, Paco, take take a look at Color of Lightning, you know, um, Arcane American Book 3, which is the book that you have just released, um, together with Ethan Carling. Yes. When I read the the synopsis, the first thing that came to mind is, and and I hope this doesn't come out in a bad way because it, it isn't meant to be a bad criticism. I thought, wow. This is, you know, 18th century Shadowrun. This, oh, it is. this could yes. be amazing. T- tell me about it.
1: So, so yeah, you kind of, uh, not that, you know, in the historical fiction circles, uh, not that that many, uh, people have drawn that, that connection, but, uh, Yeah. You know, to me, that was always one of the things like back when I did the cyberpunk CCG and, you know, working on Interface Zero and stuff like that for my time in the cyberpunk realm of, of gaming, uh, I always kind of would crack the joke that the original cyberpunk was Ben Franklin Mm -hmm. because he was the guy who said, you know, surely there will be time for rest once I'm in my grave or (laughs) the, the modern (laughs) version of that. You know, there'll be time for sleep when I'm dead Mm -hmm. and, uh, 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 so so you kind of hit on a note there that, yeah, I absolutely did kind of play with that idea of going back and um, you know, a quick overview of what the book is about. Um, it's part of the Arcing America uh, series, which is the idea that, that uh, around the time of the colonies uh, in the 1750s, uh, as Haley's Comet goes overhead, uh, North America gets sundered from the rest of the world. And right now in that universe... All we have is North America. Uh, There's this kind of like shroud, this fog that you can't, nobody gets through one way or the other. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you go into it, nobody knows what happens and nothing comes into North America and high magic has come back. So it sounds very fantasy, but what I wrote was that the act that made that thing happen and it is focused on Ben Franklin, on King George, on the, the Royal society on, and it's very cloak and dagger. And, um, you know, the first two thirds of the book are a secret history where, uh, he is actually trying to, he's in London and he's, uh, you know, over in Europe when he was actually there. And he is arguing with the crown, arguing with the pens, arguing with this giant empire to try to say that, you know, the, the whole taxation, the seven years war, it was very global time. And um, I, I, it seemed like a lot of fun to be able to take that uh, and start to set a stage where down the road you are going to see trolls. You're going to see, there, there's a short story that I'm working on right now where there's a, a Norwegian um, town that was settled by, the, a little town in Pennsylvania that was uh, settled by, the regions and they've actually got trolls starting to come out of the hills you know mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm starting to play into that folklore so i'm actually going to bring kind of some of that aspect of of <clears throat> the, the lessons i learned back in the days of shadow run into that
0: that sounds pretty scary. that that's that's what i was hoping to hear because I, I know that people bemoan Shadowrun shadow run an awful lot but i, I think it's actually <laughs> brilliant settings you know and it's been going on for ages so it must be very good now um you decided to sunder. Uh, well, first I, I'm, I need to get this out of the way, um, because I would need to know why did you decide to go for Benjamin Franklin instead of my mega hero, Nikola Tesla? Why,
1: why, why did you do this to me? <laughs> Tesla was too late. Ah. There was too much technology. Um, uh... I love the idea of playing with Tesla and magic. And I've got an idea brewing in my head about that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I have never said this in public before, but if I, <clears throat> if I write in this universe long enough, I will actually take it forward. And there's two particular uh, stories in the future, much further than Ben Franklin that I want to tell. Um, one of them is the idea of uh, <clears throat> the idea of um, uh, Billy the Kid, but mm-hmm. he has kinetic magic, so he can warp physics. Okay. okay. Like, like yeah. You know, uh, seems like that would be a fun one. Um, and then Nikolai Tesla with magic would be just be brilliant. To to write the Edison and Tesla war with magic would wow. just be something else, right?
0: Okay, so uh, thank you for telling us the plot for book four. <laughs>
1: right in, in series <laughs> well you know there there's multiple people have written in this world so interestingly um eric flint and walter hunt mm-hmm. wrote uh, a book called council of fire and it's set in the same world as as my caller of lightning and uh, uh it's about Montcalm and wolf in the battle of quebec okay um and then if you skip forward uh, about 25 years 25 30 years uh kevin j anderson and Sarah Hoyt uh, wrote Uncharted, which is the story of Lewis and Clark with magic. That so amazing. Yeah, yeah, so, so there's a lot of fun in this world to be had. And um, it's kind of funny because uh, Lewis and Clark was released first, mm-hmm. uh, Mount Wolf was released second, and mine was released third, Caller of Lightning, Ben Franklin. But actually, if you're gonna read them, you should read them in the opposite order. Okay. Uh, because mine actually describes how the world got sundered mm-hmm. and then you skip forward six months and you have the battle of quebec and then you skip forward 30 years and you have uncharted yes. with lewis and clark and then i'm hoping that i can bounce forward another era for mm-hmm. the billy the kid thing um but i also want to bring more writers into the world okay uh did, you know
0: did you design the world though is is this yes your own world
1: Yes, yes. So it, it's, um, well, yes, and. Uh, originally, uh, the idea was bouncing back and forth between me and Eric Flint. Uh, it was just, a, you know, I was coming out of the game industry. I was just starting to build my name inside of the fiction industry and, and writing <laughs> novels and short stories and everything. Um, I don't know if you remember back in the days of cyberpunk, but I was constantly releasing short stories about the characters in the card game and you know, uh, I would actually write up the storyline for the fans and send it out. Um, <clears throat> so, so Eric Flint made this really generous offer to write a book with me. And it kind of grew to be something much larger than that. And, and it took six years to get here from there. But uh, uh, so it started with Eric and I, and we were just kind of bouncing back and forth. And uh, the original idea. um uh, <clears throat> uh, I wanted to go more towards like a comedic setting and more towards a a fantasy comedy. And he was like, well, what if we kept the fantasy, but what if we did something since I'm, he's an alt history guy. What if we did something like pre-American revolution? Uh, You know, as like, okay, well, let's play with that. And the world kind of started to grow. Um, And then we brought in uh, Kevin Anderson. And then uh, from Kevin, uh, Eton was a friend of mine and I kept calling him. On the phone because he's was a, a, a history professor. Oh, <laughs>
0: so he would know nothing uh, so else. He's it. a
1: teacher. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I would be like, "Hey, I'm researching this, and this is my take on this. Can you argue with me about it?" <laughs> and he would <laughs> happily argue with me about my interpretation of history everywhere. <laughs> it was fantastic. Uh, um, but you know, all the best stuff comes out of out of arguing with someone and really I refining guess. and finding the weakness and flaws in your ideas. Uh, so, so we brought Aton in. And then uh, uh, Eric uh, decided that he was going to work on his with Walter uh, because I was going to start working Franklin with Aton and Kevin brought in Sarah Hoyt. And so six of us ended up polishing off the world. So I designed the magic system and I designed it so that it could be very easily. If anybody ever approaches us for a game, Mm -hmm. I'll be able to say yes. And here's exactly how the magic works down to a T for your rule system. So uh, I designed it so that it would be really easy to spec over to D20, to anything. Um, uh, And just to give people a a little bit of a clue to how I designed the magic, it's a fairly innovative one, uh, uh, system. Um, The idea is that how your magic represents itself is based on your faith. So anybody can cast a lightning bolt... But um, a Christian may pray for divine intervention, whereas uh, you know a natural philosopher may do something more like Harry Potter, where they they focus their will and bring it into existence. Whereas somebody who believes in the old Germanic gods will actually like call Wotan around them and and bring a you know like a sheath of the godhood around them. And um, so it's a little different for everybody how they do it, mm-hmm. based on your personal belief. But the raw way that it happens is uh, it's calorie burn. Okay. So you figure out the number of joules that the, the activity would cost in electricity to perform. Mm-hmm. And you can convert that electrical energy to the human body. And it doesn't matter whether you use your arm or whether you use your mind. You are burning those calories. Okay. So it gets really fun because the larger the spell, the more likely you are to starve yourself to death or injure yourself because you just exhaust the energy in your body and there's there's a couple scenes um in the later books where uh where there's like these massive magic battles and then afterwards mm-hmm. the people are just gorging themselves because they they're just empty and they have to just eat
0: i love the sound of that i i really like the sound i guess we we see so many times these magic systems in which the price to pay is this um mana you know this this kind of magical points or something goes wrong that hurts you but i don't think i've ever seen a system where actually it starts you you are transforming some energy into a different type of energy by sheer
1: willpower well oh, that's brilliant thank you thank you it's it was a lot of fun to come up with
0: I love that. Okay, so is that, uh, because it's something I wanted to ask, I'm always, I've, I've always been very curious about when people write books in, in tandem. Uh, so is that the contribution that Eton has in, in this book? Or has he also written anything? How, how do you two work together?
1: Oh, uh, well, so for our process, uh, we argued about the outline a lot, mm-hmm. came up with an uh, an outline that we could both agree on, that we both liked. Um, and then he, he would write springboards for me. So he would write, um, just really quick scenes to make sure to include some like detail, his uh, accuracy, stuff like that. Um, and then I would take it and I would, I would really sculpt it. Um, my strength is not the first draft. My strength is, uh, finding layers, finding emotion, finding things like that. So, um, I can put a first draft down, but then I need to. After I write a first draft, I need to ignore it until I forget it, and then I can go back and fix it. Okay. So I can write a book in a week, but then I have to ignore it for three months. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, to so I can turn it from bad to good. Uh, so Aton, from dealt good with to bad. better,
0: from good to better. We, <laughs> we know. I know you. From good to better.
1: From good to better. Um, <laughs> uh, so Eitan would do that, and then I would. I would really hammer out like what I saw as the scene, try and find those layers, why people are doing things, find the, the hidden... I, I love, in my characters, finding the truths and the things that we all do that don't usually get put into stories. Things like, you're feeling a little bit guilty about something, so your pattern of behavior changes a little bit because you're trying to deal with that guilt and you are talking with yourself about it. And you'll acknowledge things that you won't acknowledge in public. Well, when you're writing, you're omniscient. So you get to actually dive into those things and explore those things. And uh, so I really like hitting that layer. So I would do that and then I would pass it back to Aton, And Aton would do editing and polishing and rewriting and add another layer in and send it back to me and I did the final layer.
0: Okay. Did you decide that you were going to do, you were going to have three goes at it? and that would be it because it sounds like the kind of process that could go on and on and on and you could end up with a book like 10,000 pages long or something
1: so here's the dark secret uh, most people do cap it we mm-hmm. we we did not um and i also would go back over my own writing so the final version that got turned into the publisher was version 22 oh <laughs> yeah okay. um i went back and i just did like a merge <laughs> compare across all the versions and with the number of words that we deleted the scenes that were deleted the uh, just everything um it was over a million words written in just that book just to get the ones that we liked
0: wow so the the unedited edition would be like
1: this <laughs> <laughs> It, the unedited edition would probably be this thick. It would, it would no. have been like all of the scenes that got cut and stuff like that. It would be two and a half times what it is right now. And right now, it is that thick.
0: Oh, that, is, that is a
1: yeah. That, that's paperback. A, it's that thick.
0: Okay, that, that's a that's a forward, easy to get to grips with size book.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's about 400 pages right now. Okay,
0: that's pretty, that's pretty, okay. Uh, all right, um, I need to ask you, because um, the thundering taking place in in North America and isolating everything, um, the synopsis of the book uh, talks about everybody having to come together to actually, you know, survive and, and thrive in, in this thundering and try to make sense of it. Um, how, how did you go about representation of uh, Native Americans, you know, Native Canadians in in the book um, to make sure that it was as good as it possibly could be.
1: So that was actually um, Eric and Walter that dealt more with that Mm -hmm. uh, because my job was to describe the events leading up to the Sundering. So the Sundering takes place in March of 1759 and Color of Lightning takes place from 1752 through... March of
0: 1759.
1: Okay, so so the 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 the, the big event is the the cap that is the capstone on the book is the sunburn. Um, so because of what was going on with Franklin and because of uh, you know the, I I really wanted to get a good secret history. I wanted to make it as real as I could <laughs> until the moment that it couldn't be real anymore because of all the magic and lightning bolts flying around, right? Okay. Um so so I followed Franklin across the ocean. I followed him to London and I didn't get to play too much with uh the the other pieces of North America. But the idea You know, Eric started getting to play with that and uh um Uncharted uh explores it a little bit because you've got the Lewis and Clark expedition. Mm-hmm. Uh but you know they're gonna go over and they're finding there's gonna be the 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 russian towns up in north canada there's going to be all sorts of crazy stuff um we're going to get the whole globe represented eventually Mm -hmm. Uh, because everybody was in north america by the 1750s even if they weren't aware of each other okay Uh, um uh, you had asiatic influence and russian influence on the west coast and you had the euro and african influence on the east coast um
0: so, in *In Color of Lightning*, what kind of characters uh, can we can we expect to when to find when we read them?
1: You can expect to find uh, a lot of British, a lot mm-hmm. of colonials, the colonial government, the Quakers, the uh, for Pennsylvania, uh, mm-hmm. the Penn family, um, uh, George, who is uh, 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 Hanover, so he was German. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the Countess of Yarmouth, uh, she was also German, his mistress. Um, uh, so you'll have uh, Germanic, uh, British Empire, a lot of British Empire. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll have a lot of the Pennsylvania Assembly. And there was, I started to explore other places. Uh, oh, and you will find uh, Franklin's household slaves. Okay. That was a big thing that I tried to not avoid. I wanted to just put it right there because he was always so conflicted uh he was self-identified as an abolitionist yet he kept house slaves right and he willed it so that when he died they would be set free but yet he still kept them while he was alive and
0: uh, right so
1: so (laughs) he and and he he's record he's you know he's on record as being conflicted about that as not being sure what the right thing to do was so I, i played with that i didn't hide from it i let him be conflicted i uh, you know, Aton and I went back and forth on how to deal with that a lot, and we just said, okay, you know what, let's just face it head-on. The dude did something really nasty, he knew it was bad, and he kept doing it, and he felt guilty about it, but he kept doing it. So, we let him. Um,
0: what, what role do the slaves play in, in the book, if any at all? Are they just something to that was historically there, and that's why you included it? Uh, what was was the relationship in there with, with them?
1: Um, So I don't want to get, there's actually some spoilers in what you just asked. So I want to be careful not not go too far. I will say this. um, It took a lot of really deep research to figure out who his slaves were and to find out everything I could about them. Mm -hmm. Um, And they were Christian, but kept some of the old beliefs of their country and, and passed it down. So I got to play with that okay i got to play with that especially as the magic emerged they they are okay. important characters
0: okay.
1: um they're very important characters actually um,
0: um considering where is he based um what also you we know, in the same line what kind of uh, role do native americans play in in this world
1: so they weren't there weren't a lot in pennsylvania but in the world uh, they weren't i mean in philadelphia proper In the world they're they're very important there's gonna be a huge I mean there's gonna be like the Seminole nation there's going to be the you know everywhere uh, as you start to hit the Mississippi it's it's all tribal it's all native and um, that is something that I'm really looking forward to explore the the original story that I was talking about with Eric before we decided to grow the project and bring other people in um, the very first thing that attracted me was uh, there was only one colony that was founded Uh, without slavery and that was Georgia Mm -hmm. Um, and that was James Oglethorpe who freed a bunch of people out of debtors prison and brought them over to the colonies and found out a place where you weren't allowed to be enslaved Um, he believed in social justice and social freedom and I had this idea that it would be amazing because that was right in that same time frame Mm -hmm. to bring Oglethorpe over trap him there for the sundering and then use the Oglethorpe family to build a new round table where you had um, freed slaves from Africa at the table, where you had Native Americans at the table, and where you had um, the the white Anglo saxon and the Protestants, the everyone from uh, at the table, and you had the new round table, and completely around them, surrounded on every side, nations were beginning to form, uh, with the idea that uh, uh, that the Amerindians were, were were that native culture was was. They were dominant. There were more of them than anyone else at the time. Mm-hmm. And so, so that would have actually created an amazing little pocket of like <laughs> we've got the two coasts and then we've got everything in between. Um, the It is enticing to me to go explore that again in another story mm-hmm. because I really did want to get some studying in on the uh, the different tribal traditions and bring some of those to life in the magic, and I want to see more of that. Uh, it's gonna be based on the publication schedule, and what I can get away with, and what I have the time to write. Okay. Because uh, uh, I've already got, you know, uh, a different novel that I'm working on now that's steampunk in the, but more of a cyberpunky steampunk than a steampunk
0: okay. steampunk.
1: Um, it's it's two guys in 1890 in Shanghai running confidence games on people okay so it's it's yeah it's its own thing and uh, one of them was a gunfighter who lost his arm and he he had to get like basically steel threads through acupuncture to get this false arm built and and he's got this clockwork arm that's actually he couldn't do it if he wasn't doing Tai Chi daily to keep his muscles controlling it and uh, I'm, I'm playing with it but anyway so that, that novels in the works and, and but I, and I want to come back to this world but it's going to take some time and and there's there's so many stories like I really do want to see the Amerindian tradition grown in this world and see what we can play with with it um, the Native American um, I want to I want to see uh an African uh, mm. uh, uh, you know an African culture start to emerge as slaves are freed and and, and have power with their magic and their traditions. You know, I played with it just a little bit, but I didn't get to go nearly as far as I wanted to. Uh, but I also want to move forward, and I want to go to to the Wild Wild West with Billy a Kid. I want to go into the age of the Industrial Revolution and what that would look like with magic with Tesla and Edison. And, uh, you know, there's so many things to, to play. It's like, I could just write, you know, 50 books in this world, let alone all the other stories I want to tell.
0: <laughs> that, that sounds, I mean... That sounds pretty good because it's the one thing that I wanted to ask you, you know, how how large in scope is is the world uh, regarding as to what you could see uh, within it. Um, how are you putting it out for other people to jump into the team and be able to develop, uh, you know, and write in, in the world?
1: So right now there's uh, five of us. Um, Kevin Walter... me and Eric that were the original five founders Um, when when the contract for the three books was signed the five of us existed Sarah was brought in afterwards Uh, so basically the five of us have to talk about once we see kind of like what the critical reception of my book is and what the sales look like and we can see how the initial trilogy did then we're gonna figure out what the strategy is but there are definitely plans to uh, figure out how to open up this world and get other people writing in it. And whether that turns into, I don't know, like an online zine where people can write short stories or where we can make book offerings or whether we're working with Bain, the publisher, to put additional books by other authors out, that all remains to be seen, but there's definitely a desire on the part of the creators to follow through with that and to bring other people into the world and to get them writing in it.
0: That sounds amazing.
1: yeah, I think it's just going to take a couple of years to build it up because we have to see how it does.
0: And that should be enough time for you know, somebody to write a role-playing game. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's been the most satisfying bit about, you know, developing this whole world and writing this novel?
1: Well, it's not going to be the type of deep answer that, that you would hope for. Um, Holding the hardcover in my hand, this okay. is my first U.S. Hard, this is my first hardcover release. Okay. So, so this is a huge step. It's an achievement, and it's it's just that I wrote a story that somebody thinks is worth putting into this, and sending this out. This beautiful book. It, there's a sense of pride and a sense of. I mean, I put two years of my life into it, but you never know until it's out there. Uh, are people going to hate it? Are they going to love it? Are they gonna, you know what's the the <laughs> Where is it gonna go? And and for all of the amazing things on that journey, all of the research, all of the cool deep stuff that I found, like the satisfaction at there was a house that I found that had really cool crenellations on it and really okay. cool supports. And I started tracing them and figured out that the architecture who was a friend of Ben Franklin's, the architect would salvage Pieces from ships and shipyards and stuff like that and incorporate them into his architecture and so I traced these specific pieces down and realized they had come off of a decommissioned frigate named the HMS Adventure. I wow. was like the research to that that was like two weeks of research and tracking records and reading things from shipyards of the 1700s, the satisfaction of finding that nothing compared to the first time I touched that hardcover and it went wow. this it, exists.
0: That's absolutely an amazing answer, I have to say. <laughs> uh, and that's deep enough, I can tell you, that is certainly <laughs> deep enough. Um, looking back and, and to, to start wrapping up a bit of the interview, but looking back into, you know, now that you have the book, that like it's finished and published, what is the thing that you, th- you look back and think, I wish I, I, I had known this so I could have changed this and done this differently?
1: the final shape of the book we got parts of the outline our outline was bigger than it needed to be there were a lot of scenes that were cut there was a lot of historical research that we cut there are a lot of things that if I did not know them and Aton and I had not dug into those things Mm -hmm. we would not have landed with the book that we did but if I had known the final shape of the book I could have written more short stories in between little stopgap adventures and I managed to do one and it's out there. It's called chasing your tail. Um, mm-hmm. I'll shoot you over links to it. I'm actually uh, it's on bane.com. I would love it. If people would go read it there, I'll give you a link. Uh, yeah. I'm also going to uh, put out a little PDF version of it. Um, and it's a little teaser for the world. It's about Ben Franklin's daughter, Sally and her cat Mouser mm-hmm. and what they're doing as magic starts to come back into the world.
0: Oh, that's awesome! Um,
1: cool. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, a, a girl and her cat. that's is uh, pretty
0: cool. I like that.
1: It's it's fun, um, but I could have written more of those, and and uh, Eton and I could have spent some of that time um, yeah. creating some of those if we had known the final shape. But I don't know that that's something you can actually accomplish. You know, y- even thinking back, it's like that process, that journey of learning what we had to discard is part of what shaped what we ended up with. So so even then, I don't know that that's a great answer. Because I don't know that it's accurate.
0: Okay. No, but it's, it's a pretty good answer. Okay. um, Just a um, final question. Um, why should people read this book over whatever it is they have in the reading queue?
1: Because it's a really good book.
0: Okay. <laughs> Sold. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> so, okay. Uh-huh. No, no, I, uh-huh. You know. That's perfect. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Thank you. Uh, Yeah, yeah. It's a really good book.
0: Good, excellent. Okay. um, Now to, you know, bring us back down into a more earthlier plane. Um, I have just the last three questions. Um, uh, Question number one is um, what is the best advice that no one has ever given you? (laughs)
1: <laughs> don't listen to anyone's advice even your own
0: okay that's quite if, a contradiction
1: well yeah and and, and, and i love paradoxes um okay. but but here's the thing you can research you can learn you can try to figure things out Advice always comes with an agenda. So even when you're giving yourself advice, it's because you have an agenda. If your goal is to actually simply act and make something happen, Mm -hmm. it has to be without an agenda. Every time I give myself advice, it ends up making whatever that project is longer than it had to be. Okay. And and I would say that the same is true that I've discovered over my life, that that everyone else's advice is exactly they have an agenda. You go to a writing convention, you go to a game design convention, they tell you, there's two types of advice that you'll get on how to design a game. One is uh well, let's see, I sat down and I did this. You have to think about mechanics, you have to think about player experience, you have to think about this. It's more of like a classroom setting, and it's not mm-hmm. really advice. Or there's like, oh, well, you need to do this, you need to do, you need to harvest your alphas, then you need to start talking to publishers, then you need to go out and get that. Oh, well, that's an agenda because that's you wanting someone else to replicate success the way that you have, not simply teaching the pieces. And so mm-hmm. so I'm predisposed against advice and I couldn't have told you that yesterday. It was only you asking that that made me think about it and go, "Huh, you know what? Actually, I don't like advice."
0: <laughs> okay, well. <laughs> I'll start that you're welcome. Right, okay, question number 2. Um what is the best mistake that you would like to make again?
1: Wow. Okay, so that's a cool one. Um The best mistake that I would like to make again? (sighs) You know, silence is the worst thing for a podcast, but it's actually a really (laughs) good question that requires a lot of deep thought. Um, I am going to go uh, a little bit uh deeper on this one and something that uh, you know obviously what you're asking is something you didn't intend to do or something that you thought was a mistake that actually turned out it wasn't Mm -hmm. um and so so i'm gonna go back to i was starting to build my my writing career i was at a writing conference uh and i got my first major yes and i had been primed from a decade in games from starting to build writing I'm primed to know. We all are as what creatives. Are these day, this day and age? We are primed to the word no. Mm-hmm. We can take no. We're like, oh yeah. yeah, of course you'd say no. That just means go back and try harder. Take it to the mm-hmm. next level. Redesign whatever I've got to do. I'm gonna keep doing it. Maybe I'll go crowdsource. Whatever. The first time you hear yes, it's a world shaker. And <clears throat> I had a reputation. I was really big in the indie crowd. I was. I helped other people organize. I was really like proactively uh, a leader Mm -hmm. and I thought it was a mistake at the time but I couldn't hold back and so I ended up like isolating myself in the hallway because after that first yes I was crying Uh, it just it shook me so deeply to get a yes I want to publish your book I want to publish your novel uh, from a a, a real publishing house and the you know real release right Uh that that I ended up crying out in the hallway And it was that that actually led to this book. Because that was when Eric Flint noticed me. Well, well. So. That's that's an amazing story. (laughs) So, yeah. At the time, I thought it was a mistake. I just couldn't hold it back. So I tried to go hide. Uh, And, yeah.
0: Good. Okay. Last question. Imagine that you have a time machine and uh, you go back in time, uh, as you would expect. And you meet your 10-year-old self. And you say to your 10-year-old self, do not do this. Uh, What is this?
1: Oh. Yeah, unfortunately, I already did that, and it led to me not being able to invent the time machine. And so it was a horrible mistake, and I know that I'm capable of inventing a time machine because older me came back and told me not to ride that bicycle that day and get attacked by the German Shepherd. But when that happened, apparently that led to me Inventing the time machine, because I just have not been able to figure out time travel since. It's horrible.
0: Damn it. You are your worst enemy.
1: Uh, Apparently. See? Advice. I shouldn't have listened to my advice. Absolutely. Again.
0: Absolutely. From now on, advice is dead. Dead to me.
1: (laughs) Exactly.
0: (laughs) Uh, Peter, thank you so much for being with me today. Uh, I'm I'm really looking, hopefully, so much looking forward to the role-playing game. And uh, I sincerely hope that the Colour of Lightning is going to be a Netflix series in the next three years or so.
1: Oh, that would be amazing. (laughs) Thank you.
0: (laughs) And uh, ladies and gentlemen, that's it. Um, I'm done, done, done uh, for for this season. Um, Don't worry, the YouTube channel has already some 20 videos uh, programmed to be coming out. Every other day and I'm going to keep doing the pretty much daily release schedule because yes Me and my husband are Powerhouses of production. What can we say? Anyway, um, hopefully the RPG a day Initiative is also coming because I look forward to that and by all means if you want to come to the show Let me know because I would love to hear from you and I would love to have you around we have very soon a very cool announcement to do with our friends from Game on Tabletop. And this summer is going to be unbelievable. So, thank you so much for being there. It is truly and genuinely appreciated. And I look forward to hearing from you and talking to you very, very, very soon indeed. But until the next time, take care. So funny <laughs> eleven <sighs> eleven times.